Hello, folks. I hope you're having an incredible day, night, evening, morning, wherever you are right now. Back in the office and studio, I should say, filming uh, our last couple of episodes are going to be coming up here, filmed and recorded in our infamous Thrive office because we'll be making a move over to a new office and studio in the next six months. So anyways, that's exciting stuff on the personal front. So I hope you're doing amazing. Well, a few weeks ago, Derek Williamson and myself, Alex McFadden, we were guests on a newer podcast uh, with a couple of local real estate agents called Hard Assets. We talked a little bit about uh, subject-free offers, how to get things accepted, different pre-approval pre strategies, and just generally about the market. Something a little different. We were the ones interviewed this time, so it was kind of neat to uh, be a part of that. And so we thought we'd share that with you. So uh, stay tuned for this episode with uh, Logan and with Kaylee called Hard Assets or the podcast called Hard Assets. And if you enjoy it, make sure to give them a like or a follow. And of course, guys, if you're enjoying our podcast so far, we're getting rave reviews, really need to hear the different faces and voices and tags all across the country. Really excited for you guys' response. Send us a message and let us know what you're thinking. Of course, give us a five-star review on iTunes. That is our juice, letting us know that you love the podcast and leaving that review is so helpful. And again, remember, if you leave that review, we're gonna send you a beautiful Thrive mug, uh, which people are loving with some of our favorite coffee. So anyhow, stay tuned for this episode, as always, with my partner, Derek Williamson, myself, Alex McFadden. We are the partners at Thrive Mortgage Co. And we can't wait to help you. Enjoy. What's up, guys? You are listening to the YBR Remo Show, where we talk all things Vancouver real estate and mortgages, take boring topics, and make them interesting. Make sure to stay tuned to listen to everything you need to know how to put cash back in your pocket, create wealth in real estate, and simplify the complicated. We are here with Alex and Derek from Thrive Mortgage Co. Um, why don't you guys just take a second to introduce yourselves? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Where do we start, Derek? Where do we start? Um, hey, so I'm Alex uh, McFadden here at Thrive Mortgage, uh, one of the partners, along with Derek, on my uh, my stage left, as you know. Um, where do we want to even start here, guys? So we're a mortgage finance company out in Langley, BC, but we work across the country, thankfully, focusing a lot of our energy on uh, making sure our clients are making good financial decisions, but really about helping educate people about creating wealth in real estate and investing. So that's a that's a big thing about what we do. So yeah, I'm uh, Derek Williamson, business partner. Uh, other business partner Dean Lawton is not here with us tonight. He didn't make the cut. And uh, <laughs> yeah, fun. we're pretty proud of where we're at right now. We've uh, we've grown our team to 12 people over the last year and a half, and uh, obviously in the market's been a big part of that as well. But um, yeah, focused on mortgages and everything mortgages. Just what we like as realtors, mortgage brokers who focus on a lot of mortgages. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I mean, it's been a crazy business for all of us, realtors, mortgage brokers, anyone involved with real estate in, you know, BC specifically, but Canada has just been crazy all in all. But I mean, kind of starting back in 2020, I mean, from like a realtor's perspective, when March hit, the pandemic started, I mean, we were kind of quite concerned about from both ends, working with buyers and sellers from the seller's end. I mean, like, how are we going to be selling properties? We think the world's ending now, like who's going to be buying these? So it's both that concern about how do we actually move product? And now are the buyers going to want to even buy? I mean, like, it's, we don't know what's going to happen. I mean, what were kind of some of your guys' concerns, I guess, earlier on uh, at the outset? And I guess how do kind of things from a mortgage standpoint play out for those first like three months of it? 
It was frightening, to say the least. <laughs> Our phones stopped for probably two weeks when the pandemic kind of hit. And we were planning and, you know, we were talking about strategies if we were going to have to lay off our team. We didn't really know what was going to happen. And our phones started ringing because people needed to figure out deferrals. Like that was a huge topic for probably mm. two months. Um, so we, as soon as we started getting those calls, we knew that it was an opportunity for us to call every single one of our clients and see if they need assistance. A lot of people that were working, we tried to find opportunities to help them refinance, right? Um, so yeah, there was a lot of fear. Um, and then I think when we started seeing the rates go down after they went up, uh, we saw a lot of opportunity and we just figured that we'd buckle down and, and focus on a different type of business for that period of time. Like we're very purchase driven. We work with a lot of real estate agents just mm -hmm. like you guys. Um, so we figured that we would focus on our database and just try to support them while yeah, we was, were going through that. I, I would say like that timeline actually cemented our business and helped us more than anything, anything in regards to our yeah. personal business. To, to Derek's point, it was like a week of like, what do we do? Oh my gosh. We're uh, kind of a little bit nervous. And then, uh, and then we couldn't stop the phone from ringing to, to Derek's point, everybody everybody we working from from 6 a.m to 10 p.m trying to respond to people uh and it just uh it was just like what do we do where do we go um i think it took about a month for us to really settle in feel really comfortable and then as derek mentioned you know start talking to families about how to restructure how to take care of them and and people were starting to to commit um i specifically remember i'd say about mid-april we started doing some presentations we were doing a ton of them live and on facebook and stuff like that during the timeline but we started doing a lot of presentations and actually i remember this towards investors at that time or people who were even thinking about diving in the water to say like hey like now's the time to pull this equity get out of here and start hopping in as everyone's afraid to get into the market because it's not going to crash it's going to rebound and mm -hmm. i do remember it because i actually was looking at that today uh, on the calendar and uh, i mean obviously look where we are today in 2021 you know it's proven to be pretty true so yeah march and april well it was a ghost town at the office for the most part but the best deals i have done to date in my career was in those few couple months of march and april because after may long started to pick up again but march and april when it was just like everyone thought the sky was falling the deals that you could get out there oh my gosh and then later on in 2020 i'm speaking with like new clients and stuff it's like oh we're just kind of waiting for the deals and stuff you know the crash i'm like i'm sorry guys like you missed it it was march and april like the good deals have come and unfortunately now as you know moving kind of past it i guess a little bit um people understood, I guess, the sky wasn't going to be falling after all. And there was a light at the end of the tunnel. And so those panic sales, more or less, just kind of, uh, they don't, didn't last very long. I think that's kind of what created part of this boom that we're in as well, right? Like there was a lot of people waiting, waiting, waiting for this crash, and it didn't happen. Yeah. And then when things started to pick up, everyone's like, we missed it. It's mm -hmm. time, right? Like we got to get in there. And everyone just got off the fence after probably a few months of, you know, pandemic um, state yeah yeah totally and kind of on that note now um we never really saw the dip or was there even a dip i don't know maybe for a couple of weeks sure but uh, like right now i mean it's more competitive than i've ever seen and one of the questions i have for you guys is like how do you how do we as realtors too prepare our clients because right now for example even last night i had um clients that have been trying to get in the market and it was just an average, well, it was very nice, but it was, it was an average, you know, Walnut Grove home, 5,000 square foot lot. And we, uh, we submitted what we thought was a very competitive offer, uh, to find out that there was 20 offers and I couldn't believe this, but nine of the 20 were subject free. So yeah. that's almost 50% of them going in, no subjects, no financing. Um, and just wondering if you guys can kind of comment on 
on that and how to kind of better prepare us to, you know, tell our clients like you need to do A, B, and C to kind of be comfortable going in subject free because it is very daunting, right? Like you're never really guaranteed that and you're kind of handing the offer with the deposit and you're hoping for the best, right? Totally. I mean, you're talking about a market that's so imbalanced that they, like you were mentioning to us earlier today that they're you basically got people who aren't willing to sell until they buy, for the most part, a lot of people. And now it's just so much strategy because we have such a limited amount in the actual marketplace, right? Yeah. So I think at this moment right now, that's a big loaded question. So let's go back to like the why. The why is obviously, as you noted, there, there's just such a little inventory right now and everybody wants to get in right now. I mean, there's so many considerations, subject-free. We did a full episode, obviously, on this on our own podcast, so I don't even where do you, where do we even start you guys here? plug in right now. Yeah, let's plug <laughs> yeah. in. Let's, let's go. I think we didn't do it earlier, so check out the YBR Remo show on the podcast. Of course, you guys are going to put it in the show notes, so we're good. Um, so, I mean, I'll, I'll give you kind of the basic synopsis of the episode. Like, first and foremost, the biggest challenge that most people you know, face is having a proper pre-approval in place. Like typically if you're going to a bank, they're not going to do a proper pre-approval. The odd, the odd, you know, you're going to get the odd person there who does a good job, but I'm talking like one out of a thousand. Like we know them. We know the three of them in the lower mainland. There's three. Um, (laughs) And they're great. But if you don't have those lucky three, then you're probably not doing very very good. So you should have collected all your tax documents. Uh, You know, you, you submit your separation agreements. Let us know if you're working for your family's company, all that kind of stuff. Like be truthful. We are your lawyers for your money right have all those ducks in a row and then on top of that the biggest thing that i always say have a plan b after your plan b when it comes to financing right so what i mean by that is you know if you're putting five to twenty percent down that right away that's like don't go subject free don't do it doesn't make any sense we're relying we have, we're serving two masters we're serving the lender and we're also serving the insurer and the insurer is the oddball here we can't really predict what they're going to do it's so subjective right um, in addition to that, I think even if someone is putting 20% down, what if the appraisal doesn't hit the value? Do you have more cash on hand? Can you, are you comfortable with a B lender or a private lender? Can you stomach that? Do you have family money that you can rely on? Does somebody in your family have a home that they can refinance? Yeah. So many considerations. Just to kind of go back there too. So can you explain, um, the appraisal value because a lot of people don't know that. And I think that that's going to be something that we're going to see coming up because it's all fun and games outbidding everyone and getting it woohoo. But I personally have seen probably five or six appraisals that have come in light in the last two months. Um, so if you're buying a property for $1.1 million, that's the bank's security, right? And they're going to give you 80% financing if you have 20% down. They want to make sure that the property value is actually $1.1 million. So an appraisal is required. The appraiser goes out there. They have to find comparable sales, like similar homes that have sold in the last 30 to 90 days, depending on the lender. And what if there wasn't one? Because maybe you're the first person that went 200000 over asking, right? The last person went 100000 over asking. If your appraisal comes in low you have to make up the difference. Like you have to make up the difference because the bank isn't going to take that additional value into consideration. So when that happens, like back to Alex's point, if you have 20% down, if you are scraping your accounts to do 20% down and cover your closing costs, and there's an extra $50,000 bill that arises, like what do you do, right? So you have to have a worst case scenario. A lot of people think that 20% is the threshold. If you hit 20%, you're good. There's backup solutions, not really. If you have 35% down, there is a way you'll, you'll get financing, right? Whether it's private or B or alternative. 
So that's basically it. And I mean, you know, insured deals, someone buying with five, 10, 15% down, same kind of thing. Typically those people don't have a ton of money in their bank accounts at the same time, right? Like they're scraping together what they can to buy that property. If that thing comes in low, same situation, right? Like the lender isn't going to work with you just because you don't have the cash. You have to come up with the money to close. Is there a difference um, in terms of going in subject free versus conventional, unconventional? Are you going to be... Will the lender potentially, I guess, is there a bigger risk of the deal not going through? Are you not getting the financing versus an unconventional and a conventional mortgage? Or is it, it's the same thing? It doesn't really matter. There's no greater risk with one or the other. When you say unconventional, do you mean insured? Yeah, insured mortgage. Sorry, yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's way more risk in an insured deal because, you know, if income's a little bit wonky or credit's not quite there, like if we can go and get Scotiabank on board, if you have 20% down, we can get them on board, right? Like they'll approve it. But if the insurer is involved, if you're doing anything less than 20%, Scotia might be okay with it. But if all three insurers decline it, you're done, right? Like there's, you can't get a mortgage if you can't get an insurer. So there's way more risk doing in a subject-free offer with less than 20% down. I would never suggest it unless you have literally family that could step in and help out with a massive down payment to get you into that conventional ballpark. Yeah, because right. I mean, previously, like when after I get May Long was kind of when I things just really took off. And detached was definitely the first one to really see a big spike. Um, and then townhouses followed suit as well. Like in 2020, it was the market of townhomes and, and single family. Condos really just kind of took a beating uh, just because that was the primary market of, affected by COVID because it's the largest tenant market, uh, so on and so forth. But now condos, as townhomes have just gotten more and more expensive, Kaylee just sold a two-bed townhouse for $650,000. Um, $655,000 for a two-bed <laughs> townhouse. So like... It's, I mean, we've always been a notoriously expensive market and it's just getting more and more expensive. So, I mean, like, what are potentially some ideas or strategies that you guys have seen for people getting creative in an expensive market? I mean, the average single family home nowadays is over a million dollars. And I mean, a, a two bedroom townhouse just sold for $655,000. I mean, my, our parents were buying single family houses 10 years ago. Um, for that amount of money. <laughs> I should have kept my old townhouse. Yeah. <laughs> over, 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 hey, hey. The old adage. That was a head turner, 655. Yeah, okay, that location? Willoughby. Okay, wow, wow. Um, you know, where do we even start? I mean, first and foremost, if you can keep both properties, keep them. I think that's what we're learning from this, right? Keep all yeah. your properties yeah. as much as you can. Um, we hear about a lot of people who think they can't keep a property move up. I think we discuss that with pretty much every single client that comes through the door if they have mm -hmm. one, which obviously may be to the direct detriment of a real estate agent, but not long term because you're, you're we serving We like your seeing cli our clients build wealth. You're so. seeing your client, uh, ser serving your client, and I think long term in addition that those people will see the value uh, you know, inherently of yep. creating that real estate portfolio and look at some other options. So, um, But in addition to that, I think one of the things, so just going to go back to what we focused on in, our, in a lot of our education last year, which was the move up strategy, quite honestly, right? So mm -hmm. A lot of these people in these condos uh, or townhomes and, you know, just speaking in the past and, and at any point in time, didn't really fully comprehend the value of rental income in a property that you're moving into and what that could do for your qualifications. So if we had people who were squeezed out of the market, because typically, I'm going to backtrack here, but typically we don't see somebody just walking off the street and buying their first property as a single family detached home in the lower mainland, greater yeah. Vancouver area. It doesn't happen very often. The odd 
odd person. They're usually getting some family money or something like that. So usually it's an upsize condo to townhome, townhome to home, condo to home, something like that. But where a lot of people got, were getting stuck in the past was the housing market. And in the 2020, uh, 2020 to 2021 uh, gap, we, we didn't have that far of a gap and it's still actually fair to the point that you have a lot of equity. So just teaching people the educational component of how to, you know, have a suite and what that does on your property. The only other piece I would add to that would be that every lender has a different policy. Case in point, bank A over here, big red, might add back $40,000 for the $1,000 of rental income. But, you know, credit union B or big green, as an example, might give you $150,000. So that's very impactful to make that move up and that step up to get that space, right? So that can really help people transition to make that move. This is why you need to have a good mortgage broker because if you walk to TD and their cap's 40, but Scotia's is 80, you're not getting Scotia. You just came to TD. So uh, there's so many examples of why you really should be working with a mortgage broker versus going to the bank. I mean, case in point, this one, like if you need to be getting creative in any sense uh, at all, I mean, there's just so much value that a true professional can bring, and they're they're free. They don't they don't charge you anything <laughs> when you're buying your property. Thank you. Like a lot of people <laughs> don't understand this. I've had so many people ask, "Well, how much is it going to cost me?" I'm like, "It's free. Like you don't they get paid from the person who gives you the money." It's the beautiful part about yeah. buying property is you don't have any expenses other than you know that of buying the property, which was your down payment and some closing costs and stuff. But all the professionals around you just use us like to a respectable max because we're free. <laughs> like, we're hold on a second here. Hold on a second. <laughs> respectable <laughs> just throw that in there um, can we define you, this yeah <laughs> don't use it as abuse this but i mean like and also i mean like while we're on the topic banks close at five you're not getting a hold of them past that time and in this market when things are so crazy and i'm preaching this so hard because the realtors suffer through this as well it's so frustrating when we have deals that are going until the later hours of night or like we just have last minute questions about completion dates or sir anything that can come up a mortgage broker can answer your question, you know, like a lot, a lot of the hours of the day versus the bank. There is fixed periods of when they can take questions. And sometimes you can't even directly get a hold of them because they have, and you know, no we're, we're going to clip deals. that. Yeah. That's going to be a commercial for us. Thank <laughs> <you>. <laughs> yeah, happy, happy to help. Passionate um, guy. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, and on the point, I guess, of just getting creative from, I guess, my perspective, because like you said, it is very hard to be, buying even the first property um and as condos and towns are more expensive like if you're a bigger family it sometimes does make sense to rent a little bit longer and go and buy an investment property somewhere else where it's more affordable i love cam loops personally you can buy single family homes for less than the townhouse that kaylee just sold for 655 and these townhomes have two income they have i'm sorry the single family homes in cam loops have the main um suite up top in the basement suite down below, you have two incomes coming from it. You're cash flowing in some situations over a thousand dollars a month. Like have that person pay on your principal, and then maybe a couple years after that, do a refinance, pull all that money out, and now you have down payment to go and buy a townhouse or in considerably a more amount than you would have otherwise just saving cash working your job. But you got to get creative sometimes, and again, use us because like we have these options or like stories to potentially help you guys with. Like there's other ways to do it other than just like oh no, can't do it. Let's just go back to watching Dancing with the Stars. Like, it's unaffordable. We're just going to rent forever. We're screwed. There's options. There's ways to get creative. I mean, like, even now, there's townhomes in Abbotsford that have suites in them. Like, there's options out there. Yeah, that's crazy. It's crazy. But. I think a lot of people just, like you said, they sit on the fence and, and they worry about it, right? They think it's not achievable. 
And, and the news we, loves it. Oh, yeah. But yeah. what we try to push all the time is like, have the conversation. Call us. It's free. We're going to do all the work. And at the very least, we're going to show you where you stand and help you build a plan to get into the market, whether it's in two months or two years, right? Talk to people like yourselves to understand creative, you know, systems like Logan just talked about. Yeah. Um, I mean, kind of staying on it, I mean, like refinancing, um, how can a lot of people have, have a lot of equity in their property. There is a lot of house money in the lower mainland. Um, and a lot of people I feel like aren't really aware of how they can effectively take a advantage of the equity they have in their properties. Um, what are potentially some ways that you guys have seen people um, refinancing and taking advantage of that money to help out, whether it's just, you know, building up their wealth or just any other aspect? Like, what are things you can do with the equity in your property? Like, yeah, I guess. There are a ton of strategies, actually. I mean, obviously, with the rates being so low, that's a huge one massive right someone's sitting in a three percent interest rate for and they have three years left we run a rate drop report there's a penalty to get out of your mortgage right so there's got to be a fine line where it makes sense and it doesn't but a lot of people can save a ton of money even if they're not drawing any equity out of the property just getting into a lower interest rate it's dramatic savings i refinanced my property i paid fifty six hundred dollars to get out and i save a thousand dollars a month like it is just through yeah. the roof, right? And a lot of people don't realize, like the rates aren't going to be like this forever, right? No. People that are sitting on the fence are going to miss out on this. Um, but, you know, paying off debt, paying off high interest debt, a lot of people accumulate debt. It's yep. an expensive place to live, right? Credit cards ain't cheap. Pay off these 6% car loans and credit cards and roll it into your property. A huge one that we really push is using that money to invest. Yep. Like a lot of people have the mindset that they want to pay off their house. Like that's their goal, which is an unreal goal. If you live around here, it's amazing. Yeah. But could that money do you better if you used it, right? If you leverage your property to buy a rental or two rentals, what does that do for your retirement and your kids and your family, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is interesting because I think uh, even just listening to, you know, my parents, I think in the 80s, they, I think my dad said he got an 18% mortgage rate and he was just over the moon, right? And so I think that's an old school mentality, like pay off your mortgage, right? But there was a reason for that back then, but now not so much. Yeah, it's like, it just sparked an idea. It's like good debt and bad debt. Like they're two completely different things. Refinancing and pulling out equity from your property. I mean, you can use it as bad debt if you're stupid with it. But like that debt is can be good debt if you're using it to go and buy investment properties or things that are going to help to build or even like paying off your credit cards and stuff like that. It is so cheap. Like money is so cheap right now. Sub 2% interest rates. It's almost free. So it is the biggest, the biggest mistake I think I see a lot of people is it's almost like a mental block when it comes to the reconsolidation of debt. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a conversation with someone not long ago where it was just like, no, there's no way I can add in this credit card debt here. I just can't do it. Why? I just can't do it. Well, obviously I didn't say why like that, but you know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. But they, but there was a mental block like that they failed and that like you did not fail. We can come up with a strategy to pay this down at a lower cost. Why pay more money to these companies that are making billions of dollars? off of you right now why don't we just figure out why that's happening to you and then help you out and, and help you out from a cash flow standpoint because you know strategy wise what if you reconsolidated that debt into a two percent loan so you're already paying less and then just add the cost of what you were paying monthly back to the mortgage right away right mm -hmm. um to the point about uh investment uh, uh vehicles so whether it's a, a real estate investment or another investment um stocks bond whatever the heck it is you're interested in you know, something I think about a lot is 
what is the cost of like do you believe that uh your hourly rate and a passive hourly rate are the same and i would say no uh if i earn a dollar working versus a dollar from a passive source is that the same absolutely not because i have to physically be out there doing that and making that money whereas a passively i don't have to do a darn thing so when i'm thinking about the concept of refinancing you know, I, we have conversations every day, all day with families about this. And it's almost like convincing them because they're used to this 18% mentality. And w the, the concept is unfortunately backwards where it's like, I want to pay this down because then I'll be financially free. But no, you're not financially free because you're still earning, having to work for uh, a living. What's happening is you're just reducing your monthly payment. So what if your payments remained around the same, but you earn more money? So it's really all we're trying to do here is create a bigger gap between what you actually earn and take home versus what you spend. The gap is actually smaller when you just pay off your mortgage. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's what we're hoping to do. So refinancing Derek's point, let's pay out the debt. Let's buy other properties. You crazy thing that I constantly hear when, when I, um, uh, have these conversations, cause a lot of people are afraid to reach out is I can do this midterm in the middle of my three years or five years, I hear people all the time. They're like, holy crap, I'm in the middle of my 25 year term. I can do this. Like, no, we don't have 25 year terms. <laughs> That's the amortization. The term's yeah, different. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, um, I got, uh, what's the, some of the differences, because there's different ways you can access your equity. You can refinance your property and get a new loan, or you can do a HELOC. So I feel like a lot of people are unfamiliar with like a HELOC. I mean, there's lines of credit all over the place. What are some of the differences between refinancing and then accessing a HELOC? Refinancing, you are paying off your existing mortgage, which triggers a penalty. If it's a variable, it's three-month interest penalty. If it's fixed, it could be through the roof. So you're actually restructuring. You're paying off your loan at whatever the existing interest rate was, and you're taking on a new, bigger mortgage most of the time at the current rates. right? So right now, with the rates being so low, it makes sense for a lot of people because you're saving so much on the interest to pay the penalty and refinance. Um, but sometimes you run into situations where a penalty is $40,000, and doesn't make sense. In that situation, if someone still wants to access the equity, you get a line of credit. So you leave your mortgage in place in first position and you get a line of credit added to that. So a line of credit is at a bit of a higher rate. Like our mortgage rates are one and a half percent. Line of credit is always typically prime plus a half. So 2.95, right? The spread between mortgage rates and line of credit rates are typically not, it's not that big. So right now, when you compare the line of credit to a mortgage, it makes way more sense to go with the mortgage. A line of credit is a great option if the penalty is huge. Uh, if you don't want to restructure or refinance, it's a good way to access equity without triggering that. Yeah, I'd say there's a third option here as a follow-up point that you didn't ask about, which is a second mortgage. Uh, um, you know, and we do we don't talk about them enough because uh, I think it scares a lot of people the concept, and it's almost like a dirty secret. So you hear a lot of advertisements for, especially locally in BC, Alpine Credits and various other you know companies of that nature, um, and those are typically what we call second mortgages, which are in second position behind your existing mortgage, which allow you to access equity if you don't qualify based on your bank's guidelines or you don't want to pay the penalty. The difference there is obviously a little bit of a higher cost associated with the mortgage, but the payments can be much more manageable because they're extended out over a longer time frame. There's actually a lot of value in knowing and having access to that, especially if the payments are high and you can't access the line of credit or anything of that nature. And I think people shouldn't be afraid of it. And the reason that these companies like 
I just mentioned one right off the, the hop here, but the reason these companies are, are pushing so hard is because people are afraid to talk to their bank about it after the decline. They're afraid to talk to other people. They should be knowing, it should be, uh, I guess, knowledgeable of these options realistically because it's, it is something that makes sense, just not long-term. Yeah, the line of credit is an interesting product because it gives you the option to pay interest only, Yeah. right? Like a mortgage is principal and interest, so the, the actual payment is gonna be higher as much as you're paying down the principal. But I've had clients that they just want a line of credit. They don't care about principal pay down, they're in it for cash flow, right? So they will buy an investment property, get a line of credit, they have this super low interest only payment, but they're cash flowing $1,000 a month. Whereas with a mortgage, they're cash flowing 250, right? And for them, it's like, I want the money now. They don't really care about it. They're in it for appreciation and now money. So everyone's situation is a little bit different. Yeah, on the commercial end, uh, for some of the investors we've worked with that we'll see, they'll usually go for the line of credit. I'm um, just pulling it from their business or from their property or something like that. Other property they have as well. And this is the beauty. This is the snowball. I mean, once you get the first investment and refinance, leads to the second one. Like once you have like five properties or something, like you access, like oh wow, I got a million dollars in equity here. Let's go pull a line of credit on that, and they'll go buy another one. Like oh my gosh, I just bought a building with no money, yeah. no money down. It all just came from the equity in my other properties. I just pulled a line on it or something like that. So yeah. that's and sometimes. A really cool tip is not all lenders offer this, only a handful do, but it's a re-advanceable mortgage. Mm. So as you pay down principal, Smith the line of credit increases, yep. right? The Smith maneuver is what you do with that line of credit yep. and how you structure it. But I honestly feel like everybody should get into that product if it's a fit and you like the interest rates that the lenders are offering. Because if you don't touch it for 10 years, wow, you have $200,000 in a line of credit that you don't have to requalify for. Yeah, right? I like checked out mine accessible. yesterday. I got, I got 18 grand in the last nice. year. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like, but like, all right, let's go. Let's we've go had clients, Yeah, we've had clients that are selling and they have no cash and they'll use this line of credit that they've built up over two years to renovate the place before they sell it, right? Yep. And they make Genius. more money out of it. Genius. Genius tactic. Yeah, that is genius. Um, I know, right? Um, so I guess uh, one of the last points here, it's you know still relevant in the market today. I mean, we're writing a lot of subject-free offers. Uh, unfortunately, it seems to be every other day, single-family home. Like any single-family home, town home, uh, it seems to be 10 offers plus. Um, if you're getting under 10 offers, you priced it wrong or something, or you didn't market it right. Um, how can people be prepared to kind of write these subject-free offers um, from a mortgage standpoint, I guess? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we touched on this a little bit earlier to Kaylee's point, but to go back into it in a little bit more detail, I mean, the first and most important thing is don't do an online pre-approval. So uh, actually physically talk to someone and make sure that all of the documentation that a lender would actually ask for has been submitted. That's the, the I'd say the number one mistake people make, which is absolutely insane, but mm -hmm. it is. So uh, right away, do that. Make sure you've done your due diligence on the property, get your appraisal done, which uh, Derek was talking about earlier today. So get it done early for whatever you're going to offer, right? Yeah, because so what, what we're seeing right now too is you know, a house will hit Monday, Tuesday kind of thing. They'll show it all week on the weekend and then offers Monday or Tuesday. Everyone hates realtors for doing that, but we're doing it for our sellers. But anyway, uh, is there any tips that you could give? Like, okay, so I've, I've seen the house on Monday, but I'm not even allowed to submit until the following Monday. What should I be doing? It's a good question. I mean, if you've been properly pre-approved, don't change anything. <laughs> don't, don't buy a car on don't Wednesday. Don't buy a car. <laughs> Stay up on your credit card payments. Make sure your money's not going anywhere. Yeah. Just the basics, right? I mean, from that point to writing the offer, it's just 
conversating with your mortgage broker, making sure that your mortgage broker is in talks with your realtor. If those two people are not talking, please don't go subject free. That yes. is absurd. Um, but honestly, the true pre-approval, like imagine being a first time buyer and you call your bank, like you are relying on your bank. It's a bank. And they tell you you're pre-approved after a 15 minute phone call. Why would you not think you're pre-approved? Right? Mm. Like what else do you know? Exactly. But like you actually have to understand like the a true pre-approval is so in-depth. We're looking at every single document, bank statements for three months. It is super in-depth. Pulling credit. If people haven't done that, if you haven't signed a credit authorization form, you should not be going subject free. Okay. I, I want to share a story that uh, I, I was actually talking to someone on the way here and thank. So they did not go subject free, but it was a multiple offer scenario. Um, and these are first time buyers. We had done the, the true pre-approval which uh, that's something that we do, which is every bit of detail. We've done a, a 30 minute Zoom planning session. We went through all their details, all their opportunities, et cetera, and, and then other multiple conversations. And anyhow, on advice of their agent, which I don't know personally, so I won't speak to, but uh, they, they did go forward with a property that hit the market on, I believe a Friday, they saw on a Saturday, and then the offers were on a Monday or Tuesday or something of that nature. And um, you know they won the offer, uh, which is, exciting right so i was very happy for them and i got the documents and then of course um uh, an email followed an hour later from the real estate agent saying hey there's something you should probably know about this property this property is actually a uh, after seeing the pds they've already won just saw the property disclosure statement which obviously um you know they have to say if there's anything wrong with the home or any issues that should be aware of or any changes to the property this used to be a grow up oh no oh no oh, there it is no. mic drop there it is yeah so <laughs> So here's the good news. There's a good ending to this story. Okay. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going on the story. And I'll, actually, I'll, I'll hold the good news to the end because everybody's got to stay tuned for the rest of that. But <laughs> the long and the short of it is, they paid sixty to seventy thousand dollars over the property value, which already was probably priced high as it was. But I mean, it's market. They're paying uh, based on competing against ten other offers, which is what I was advised of. And um, you know, right away I was concerned that it would appraise at value after having a quick conversation with my appraiser. Um, not only were they unaware of the fact that it was uh, GROP, they did not have the capacity or the ability to um, to uh, to pay the cost associated with a, a potential GROP property because there were going to be some additional costs for them. Um, nothing was explained to them. They were not educated about this. They didn't have the PDS. They weren't advised that this could be a factor or consideration. There was nothing out there. So, I mean, I feel like there was a number of factors at play here. The real estate agent on the selling side should have disclosed this information. Yep, uh, the person on the buying side, maybe uh, maybe that's something that they there was no way. There's nothing they could have done about. But after having an hour-long conversation, I, I said to the clients, do you believe that if you knew this information and you knew about the costs associated with this, would you have spent as much money or offered as much money? And the answer was no. And they, But they were emotionally attached to the property. I said, so do you believe that it, if this property was on the market that they would have had 10 offers from maybe similar people in your mindset? Uh, no, we don't think so. So right away we came to the decision that not only is this property uh, shouldn't have come up to that price point, it felt bad and fake and emotionally obviously were drained. Uh, here's the win. They did end up backing out, just so you guys know. They backed out. They did have subjects in their offer. So they didn't go subject free. They won because of the price. There were other offers that were subject free at a lower price point. So moral of the story here from my uh, point of view is that, again, you have to be aware of all the potential risks. One of the risks for this family was that they were going to have to not only come up with a higher price point, or sorry, a higher down payment, which I don't think they actually even had access to because we didn't have this conversation 
uh, about this property, right? Um, but in addition to that, uh, they would have had to spend more money on a grow up property and potentially pay way more than market value because nobody was going to spend the amount of money they did had they known it was a grow up. A lot of lenders don't like grow ups, unfortunately. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it would have even gone for what it was priced for, to be honest with you. They nope. Yeah. What's the down payment on a grow up now? It ranges. Typically, they actually have to be insured, even if you have 20 or 35% down. Like the lenders want it to be insured by CMHC. So it falls into this sub million, super tight set of guidelines. It has to be under a million, 25 year amortization. There's fees, there's higher rates. Air and like marketability tests. alone, like this is my conversation with clients. Okay. Right now, there's only three or four lenders that finance these. What if you're selling in five years and there's one? Right? Like, who's buying this place? Yeah, because a lot of people don't know that rides with the property. Even if you take it oh, down to like studs, it still shows up on that property that it was yeah, a grow unless up. Unless you're tearing it down. Someone gets yeah. sick, you have to refinance, take some money out of the property. Uh, you're, you're pretty much stuck to one or two or three or four lenders at that point, too, right? So yeah. it's crazy how much people rely on mortgage brokers and realtors and home inspectors to do all this. Nobody knows this stuff, right? So surrounding yourself with actual professionals and not working with your brother's cousin that just became a realtor because he's family, yeah. right? Like pick someone that's good and then, you know, they know what they're talking about. Yeah, it's only the biggest you know, investment of anyone's life, so. Yeah. I think we need to increase our fees from zero to something. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently for all the great advice you guys. Get providing. what you pay for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, so I guess. Uh, Zinger. Last last question here. It's January 28th. What is going to be happening for the rest of the year? I mean, how is this going to continue on going? I guess from for your question for you, from a mortgage standpoint, what is the rest of the year going to be looking like? Well, rates are predicted to stay low. Bank of Canada, prime, variable line of credit rates are predicted to stay low until 2023. What happens with fixed rates? Who knows? It's tied into bond markets, which can change with... I mean, vaccines almost changed our our five-year fixed interest rates or fixed interest rates as a whole. So rates should be staying low, which will continue to fuel what's going on right now. Refinances, purchase, people's up, people upsizing, people moving. Um, the market itself, I mean, I don't know. Nobody holds the crystal ball, but I think that we're going to see more inventory, but I don't think that's going to slow down our market. I think that creates more buyers at the same time. And there's all these buyers that have pent-up demand that are trying to get in right now that aren't. And when there's more inventory, I just think it continues. Like, I think we're in for an absolute crazy spring and summer. Yeah, wow. it, it, it's it's very likely that at this point right now, the real estate market just in general is not going to be uh, fueled by the fire. The fire is not only fueled for 2021, but for the next few years for a variety of reasons, including the low interest rates. And even when the interest rates slightly do begin to rise, we've got, uh, even if we have a flat, let's just assume we have a flat 2022. I don't know that that's the case, but even if we did have the fatigue uh, next year, uh, we have to keep in mind that the government's basically held off on bringing anyone into our country um, for an entire year, which means we have an insane amount of uh, immigration coming in the next few yep. years, yep. which means that, um, mm. you know, for the following few years, as you know, um, the guidelines for lending on, you may not know this, the guidelines for lending on new to Canada's have actually uh, loosened up in the last couple of years. Have and they? To a degree. And so, so here you go, two years from now or three years from now, four years from now, you're going to see a lot of families coming from another country come back. So my only question at that point is, since a lot of the families that come from other countries do, generally speaking, like to go to dense areas, like dense cities, do they then help the Vancouver city, you know, condo markets and otherwise rebound? 
or you know, or what does that look like? That's the only question I realistically have. But based on the debt to income ratios and what people qualify, and where your typical person qualifies getting into the market, which is somewhere between the four to six hundred thousand dollar range for a first time buyer, very average. I think we're just going to see the suburbs just just the gas is just going to keep going on the the flame. So my only feedback would be if you aren't in the market, get in the market, and if you can buy more, hold more, and just hang on to it and enjoy the ride. Yeah, and and people immigrating from other countries have a lot more. Um, most of the time have a lot more value in owning real estate than people who even live here um, because they come from a country that doesn't have a very strong um, in, in investment um, backing, I guess. And it's not really just a confident market, but they know the North American market has like a triple A rating, like your money's pretty safe here. And so they're, it's it's a dream to be able to finally own property. So yeah, mm. there's a lot more people going to be immigrating here and a lot more people who are quite excited about being able to get into the market. The only other thing I would probably point out is just just in general, the lending market, because it is so hot right now, and the real estate market, you see a lot of people hop in uh, and just go to anyone, everyone. I think now patience over anything. Oh, I can speak from our team in general. Like We've had more applications. We've, we've broken records every week this month. Uh, applications, inquiries, approvals, everything, and it's nonstop. So that says a few things to me. Obviously, people that are interested, but the second, th- second thing is based on where the applications from come from. Quality is really mattering right now. A lot of what we're doing is second opinions, and a lot of what we're doing is people have talked to someone else and coming here. So, so when you do commit to working with a professional, whether it's a real estate agent or uh, or, or a broker or whoever that is, really commit and just preach patience. It takes time. It takes time to, to do it properly. Don't rush this sort of thing, right? That's big. So whether now or in the future. Yeah. Well, Kaylee, any uh, closing remarks? Um, no, just kind of, it's just, yeah, I didn't know that stat about how many people. Did you say 400,000 people expected to come yeah, in the next can. year? Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was closer to a million that uh, JT said by 2023 or something. I don't know. But not only that, it's like just going back to my last example, like there was 20 offers on that home. Well, there's still 19 people looking and there's not that much more coming up. Right. So that's going to take so long for that to even level out. Yeah. And then, like you said, it's very interesting just uh, how just humans work. I mean, it's so hot. It's like it's so true. Everyone's like, oh, like it's like the new hot thing. I want to you know, I want to get in there and it's and it's I see it every day. And so do you guys. And just kind of the mentality there's just pe- more people jumping in every which is great i mean it's great to you know have the dream of owning and everything but like you said do it the right way because it's uh, not fun if you don't yeah very just correct started. just get started yeah. yeah sellers are in the power position in this market the longer they wait the more money they're making so then they turn into buyers though yeah that's the problem yeah it's just <laughs> a lovely cycle isn't it i think the only tip i would give people as well is a lot of people are locking into these five-year fixed mortgage rates at 1.69%, right? And human nature is people build their lifestyle and their budget around their costs, right? And these mortgage payments, like it's almost unrealistic what people are paying for a million-dollar mortgage. Literally two years ago, it was like a, it's a massive, massive difference. So when people are doing this and moving into this beautiful new home because the mortgage payment on a million dollars is four grand, that is going to change in five years, right? Like yes. You have to take that into consideration. And if you're in a five-year fixed and it's 3% in five years, it's a massive, massive jump, right? People that are in variable rates are going to see a gradual climb and they'll probably yeah. be okay. But I just see a lot of people that, I mean, we look at people's finances all day and most people literally are not saving, right? Like they're paying their bills and they're living their life. Yeah. So. Yeah. You got to think ahead. 
Yeah. Yeah, you really do. Speak to a professional. But yeah, this has been great. I'm glad to have you guys on. Looking forward to having you guys back at some point. Thank you. Right yeah, on. Thanks right so on. much for your time, guys. Appreciate it. We should probably plug you guys. This is uh, one of the first episodes of The Hard Assets, so we're excited to come on. So if you guys are listening to the episode, make sure to share for Logan and Kaylee everywhere the heck you can, because that's the juice that gets you guys going, I would imagine. And, uh, and of course, uh, check out the YBR Remo show if you want to see what we're doing. Actually, throw out your guys' contact info. Like, If people want to get a hold of Thrive Mortgage Co., how do they get in touch with you guys? Okay, well, we'll start with the Instagram because that's where we're hanging out at Thrive Mortgage Co. Uh, website, thrivemortgage.ca. Uh, Derek Williamson, Alex McFadden, Dean Lawton, just search us up anywhere you'll find us. They're Thanks, man. Pretty popular guys. So, yeah. Groovy. Catch the next one. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>